is my birthday A day that should be free from care Best wishes and congratulations While friends are singing happy birthday There'll be a smile upon my face Hello and welcome to the Six String Hayride podcast. We're covering all of your classic country and rockabilly needs. We have your hillbilly Shakespeare's from Hank Williams all the way to John Prine. We've got the best guitar players anywhere. Chet Atkins, Cliff Gallup, Luther Perkins, We've got the perfect way for you to get all of your Saturday night deal with the devil, honky-talking nonsense past the good Lord come Sunday morning. Anything you need in the world of classic country and rockabilly, your hosts, Chris Wainscott and Jim O'Malley, have got you covered. When you are sad and lonely and have no place to go, come to me baby and bring along some dough and we'll go honky donkin honky donkin honky donkin honey baby so we're releasing this episode for the 100th birthday of the hillbilly shakespeare himself hank williams senior we're going to talk about four of hank's songs today the songs we're going to talk about are jambalaya on the bayou i'm so lonesome Hey, good looking, and your cheating heart. We'll also go over a little bit of Hank's biography, his songwriting style, and why we appreciate him so much here on this show and in the world of country music in general. So, to tell you more about the man, here's Jim O'Malley. So, hey, ride listeners, fellow music lovers, Hank Williams, born in Alabama. September the 17th, 1923. So, yeah, we're here to celebrate 100 years since Hank showed up on this earth. He grows up in the Mount Olive area in Alabama, and he is exposed to a neighbor and family friend, a blues musician named Rufus Payne. And Rufus has a huge influence on Hank, uh, teaches him guitar, gets him into music, and in 1937, when Hank is 14, he wins $15 in a local talent contest. He starts getting some jobs singing on the radio, uh, singing in bars and other public gatherings around town. Again, this is when he's a teenager. Over the years, he comes across Roy Acuff, who recognizes him as an emerging songwriting talent, and Ernest Tubb tries to get him an audition with the Grand Ole Opry. With a little help from Acuff and then Ernest Tubb, in December of 1946, Hank begins his recording career. In 1947, with the release of Moving On Over, he has his first success, and from there, it's pretty much the Hank that we all know and love. 
the songs just keep coming, each one, you know, continually better and better. He's kind of unstoppable. In December of 1944, he gets married to a woman named Audrey Shepard. And they have a very up and down, very volatile, very dramatic marriage. Well, I mean, listen to the songs that the man writes during this period. Uh, they get divorced in May of 1952. And then shortly after, in October of 1952, Hank gets married to Billie Jean Jones. And this is in Louisiana. There's a problem. When Billie Jean and Hank Williams get married, her divorce from her prior marriage is not yet final. It doesn't go final until 11 days after the ceremony she has with Hank Williams. So even if you're Hank Williams, even if you're in Louisiana, you cannot get double married. Just no. Uh, the wedding was declared invalid. So his proper widow remains Audrey Shepard. Uh, Hank has a long, complicated history with spinal problems through his life. He has really poor health. He has heart issues. Uh, this is the reason he's not eligible to go in for World War II service. And on New Year's Day of 1953, from the alcohol, the various painkillers, the unprofessional medical treatment he received, and just the overall stress that the man's body was through. Hank left this earth on January 1st of 1953. During his career, he was often considered unreliable and lost a lot of radio gigs because of his drinking. And people knew that the alcohol and the painkillers were related to his poor spinal health, but it was something that really managed to be a huge obstacle in his career. It made it difficult for him to secure regular radio work at various times. And it, again, it made him known as being unreliable for showing up for performances and what kind of shape he would be in. Yet Hank Williams remains the single figure in country music songwriting where that's the bar. And years later, you get the musical question, would Hank have done it this way? Because he just looms that large over everything. This is a guy who developed a ballad, a sad, woe is me type style with songs like Your Cheating Heart and You Win Again. He really creates that mold of a good time honky-tonk party song with Hey Good Lookin', with Jambalaya, Moving On Over. And he creates one of the great, not just country or gospel, but one of the great American songbook compositions with I Saw the Light. He's an incredibly complicated guy, and in an incredibly short period of time, what he accomplishes as a songwriter, it remains to this day where the bar is set when people talk about the good stuff from everything else. So to celebrate the 100-year anniversary of Hank Williams' birth, Chris and I 
thought it would be fun to take a quick look at some of the really well-known, iconic, essential Hank Williams songs. And it seemed like a good idea to pick one of the upbeat party songs and one of the more bad, tragic songs. Let's start with Jambalaya. Goodbye, Joe, me gotta go, me oh my oh. Me gotta go, pull the P-Roll down the bio. Jambalaya was released on July 19th of 1952. The B-side of the single is a song called Window Shopping. This is one of the many Acuff Rose published compositions from Hank Williams. It was recorded on June 13th of 1952. It does hit number one on the country charts. It's based on the melody of an old song called Grand Texas, which is more of a sad love type song it's not anywhere near the subject matter that hank comes up with for jambalaya it's got a similar melody on the record we have jerry rivers on the fiddle we have don helms on steel guitar we have ernie newton on bass he plays on quite a few of the hank williams singles and we have the man himself chet atkins on guitar and this is a fun record it's a wonderful take on cajun style it's got a great rhythm to it it's almost impossible to listen to the song and not be hungry for cajun or creole food right away oh and as a quick side note folks cajun jambalaya is going to be more caramelized and more burned at the bottom so the flavor comes up. Creo jambalaya is going to be more of a tomato base to it. That's the, the key difference between the two. I am in no way an expert in this type of cooking. I try to be an expert in this type of eating. It, the language in the song, it, it, again, that Cajun, that Creo feel, even down to the slang, to the vocabulary. That phrase, pole of Piro down the bio. The pole, it, it's literally a verb. It's to take the pole and to push off the Piro, which is a canoe or a punt. It's a low, shallow dugout type boat. In England, it's called punting. You have the flat canoe type boat. You have the pole, you push the pole, boat goes in the other direction. It's a level of detail in songwriting that in Hank's era is incredibly innovative and revolutionary. Uh, again, the song hits number one on the country charts. It's covered by bar bands everywhere across the earth, probably will be for all eternity. And really fantastic covers over the years, including Fats Domino. Goodbye, Joe. Me gotta go. Me oh my. Me gotta go. Pull the down the bayou. My Yvonne, sweetest one. Me oh my.
and John Fogarty. song is also influential to the point where another great songwriter chuck berry just a few years later takes that idea from jambalaya the, the social setting of it and uses that as part of the basis for his single rock and roll music you have an invitation to go somewhere you know up the road a bit hear some music great food you're drinking homebrew you're drinking moonshine way down south they gave a jubilee the dodgy folks they had a giant tree they're drinking home from a wooden cup the folks then got all shook up and started playing that rock and roll music any old way you choose it the environment and the whole vibe of the whole thing in jambalaya that hank creates is what Chuck really beautifully recreates in the single for rock and roll music. Um, it's hard to find a Hank Williams song that is not really influential and has not been widely performed by other people. Jambalaya has always been one of my favorites. It's, to me, the best of the upbeat Hank Williams party songs. And from July of 1952... Jambalaya, Hank Williams. Yeah, there's a couple of things that have always struck me about this song. Uh, first of all, from a performance aspect, I, I've always enjoyed the way that Hank kind of drifts into and out of the faux Cajun accent that he's singing certain parts of the song with. Uh, he never really lays it on. The hippie doors, the fountain knows the place is buzzing. Info come to see Yvonne by the dozen. Dress in style and go hog wild, me oh my oh. From a songwriting standpoint, what really strikes me here is how little of a description Hank gives. He doesn't tell us exactly what's happening or exactly who's there. Or why he tells us some of that. We know Yvonne is there. We know her kinfolks are coming to see her by the dozen, but he never really goes into great detail. He's not spending verse after verse to try and describe what's happening in terms of the gathering itself. Instead, he creates a vibe by telling you what's happening at this gathering. And Jim's right. You really can't listen to this one without getting hungry. So next up is arguably the most well-known, the most powerful of Hank's sad songs. I'm so lonesome, I could cry. Hear that lonesome will for That's the wrong key. I'm going to make it up. Hear that lonesome will she sounds too blue 
a night so long when time goes crawling by the moon just went behind the cloud Now, did you ever see a robin weep when leaves begin to die? Like me, he's lost the will to live. Lord, I'm so lonesome, I could the silence of a falling star lights up a purple sky. Tonight I wonder where you are. Lord, I'm so lonesome. I could cry. The song starts out as the B side of the single my bucket's got a hole in it yeah my bucket's got a hole in it yeah my bucket's got a hole in it yeah my bucket's got a hole in it i can't buy no beer the marketing mentality at the time was you don't put the sad song you don't put the weepy song for the a side you go with something upbeat so, yeah, the classic, one of the great American songbook ballads at this point was the B-side of My Bucket's Got a Hole in It. This was recorded in August of 1949 in Cincinnati, Ohio. Another A. Rose publishing composition from Hank Williams. It is released November 8th, 1949. And even as a B-side, it goes all the way up to number four on the country charts. Uh, once again, we have Ernie Newton on bass. We have Tommy Jackson on fiddle, Zeke Turner on guitar, and Jerry Bird on that incredible steel guitar. The song has this weepy rain whistle quality that's kind of a crying or a moaning uh, whining low is the way that Hank puts it in the song hear that lonesome whippoorwill he sounds too blue to fly the midnight train is whining I'm so lonesome, I could cry. This is, for its era, and I think even now, remains an incredibly intense, very emotional, very personal description of deep, intense emotional pain. To create that idea of being so sad that what comes natural to you, what is instinctive to you, gets lost or gets crushed in your sorrow, that you have a bird who's too blue to fly. <laughs> 
You have a robin weep when leaves begin to die. Like me, he's lost the will to live. It's intensely powerful. And, and I think everybody that talks about this song or what it means to them or why it's such an extraordinary accomplishment with the writing, it, it's this kind of image. It just hits at your core that the very thing you're born to do, you're too sad to do that. It's it's an amazing piece of songwriting. When time goes crawling by, the moon just went behind the clouds to hide its face and cry. And I don't know if it's kind of a novelty or if he was really serious about this, but Pittsburgh Steelers legend Terry Bradshaw releases a cover of this in 1976 at the height of his playing career. And I don't know if it's true or not, but there's a rumor that he dedicated it to Fran Tarkington. I guess we will never know. Um, again, it remains really the high mark for this sort of deeply personal deeply intense expression of sorrow uh there's a couple of other things about this song specifically though that kind of catch my eye the line the silence of a falling star lights up a purple sky is like nothing else i can think of in any form of music or literature or anything. I mean, it's just an incredible image. The silence of a falling star lights up a purple sky. And as I wonder where you are, I'm so lonesome. The silence of a falling star lighting up a purple sky, that's just completely unique. And again, I think it really says something about the man's songwriting skills as well as his vocal skills that none of these lines ever sound out of place or forced the way he sings them. Uh, the other thing that I find interesting about this song and I have no idea how it was recorded. Okay. I'm pretty sure it was probably recorded at Castle Studios because that's where Hank recorded most of his stuff. There's something that I hear when I listen to the song. And I guess the only way I can really explain it is if anybody who's listening has been to, uh, you know, a lot of bluegrass shows, especially if you've seen the Del McCory band, because they do this, but there are some other groups out there that still do. There's this one microphone technique that a lot of acoustic string bands used to use. You'd have one microphone in the front of the room and whoever's singing is at the microphone. When it's time for the guitar solo, the guitar player steps up to the microphone. When it's time for the banjo, here comes the banjo player. And I've seen this done a number of times by Del McCory. 
And I can hear the same sort of thing when I listen to this song. You can hear the instruments come in and out as though they're stepping up to the microphone and stepping back. Now, again, I don't know the actual conditions in which this song was recorded. That may not be what happened here. This could be multiple microphones just being faded in and out, but it gives me that mental image very clearly, and I think it's a unique aspect of the song. Next up, we're going to talk about Hey Good Looking. Yet another Acuff Rose uh, published song by Hank. This one was released on June 22nd, 1951. Uh, the B-side was My Heart Would Know. What's interesting here is a story I grew up hearing all the time was about Willie Nelson, how he once you know, wrote a song on an airplane in front of some record executives on an air sickness bag in 10 minutes, in five minutes, in 20 minutes. It depends on which version you hear. But this song has that same backstory. It was written in 20 minutes while on a plane. Hank was friendly with little Jimmy Dickens and had told him that in order to become a star, he was going to need to record a hit and that Williams would write one for him. The result of this writing session is Hey Good Looking, but after writing it, Hank decides he's going to record it himself. Title of it is Hey Good Looking. If you got anything cooking, just be sure you're cooking it with mother's best flour and it'll turn <laughs> out good, I guarantee you. That's the deal. Say, hey, good looking. What you got cooking? How's about cooking something up with me? Say, hey, honey, baby. Don't you think maybe we could find us a brand new recipe? The song itself tells the story of a man who's coming on to a woman using food-based double entendre. Uh, and when we talked about jambalaya, we talked about some of the food imagery. And this is more just the idea of cooking something or mixing something up. Metaphorically used to describe bringing two people together. Uh, the song was recorded on March 16th, 1951 at Castle Studio in Nashville. Uh, the B-side, which I mentioned earlier is My Heart Would Know, was also recorded that day. Uh, two other songs were done here. Uh, I Can't Help It If I'm Still in Love With You and Howlin' at the Moon. Uh, those actually came out earlier on April 27th of 1951. So somebody somewhere decided that Hey Good Looking wasn't even the best song in the bunch. They were wrong. On the session, Williams is backed by members of his Drifting Cowboys band. This includes Jerry Rivers on fiddle, Don Helms on steel guitar, Sammy Pruitt on electric guitar, Jack Shook on rhythm guitar. I'm free and ready so we can go steady. So how's about saving all your time for me? Ain't no more looking. Something that amazes me about this song. So it's two minutes and 35 seconds in length. And there's a 54 second musical break.
think that Hey Good Looking is one of those up-tempo Hank Williams songs that really kind of a little bit of foreshadowing wants to come with rockabilly and then with straight rock later on. It it certainly has a, a swing and a bounce to it that you'll hear in the country influence on Chuck Berry later on. It also has that element of a real simple rock and roll song because you're you're coming on to a woman and it's not a large complicated vocabulary it's repetitive you have a nice long jam in the middle of all that just to make sure that dancing vibe is intact and that idea of using food or cooking is sort of the wink wink nudge nudge element in the song uh, comes up a lot later on in rock and roll music uh, i think the one i can think of right away would be the bob marley song stir it up but that idea it goes all the way back to robert johnson with come on in my kitchen So, yeah, once again, Hank Williams really creates the kind of modernized form, the blueprint for something that becomes very common in rockabilly and later in straight rock and roll. It's got a great swing to it. It's just enough vocabulary to get his message across. The instrumental sections are fantastic you're not going to find any Hank Williams song that you're really ever going to be able to criticize in any reasonable way. So just go with it, except the mystery that is the hillbilly Shakespeare. And that will take us to your cheating heart. It's gone on to become a massive part of the standard American country songbook. So this one's done at Williams last session at castle studios. He was taking his new fiance from Nashville to Shreveport to announce their plans to be married to her family. After describing his first wife on this journey as a cheating heart, Hank dictated the lyrics to the song to Billie Jean Jones, who was the new fiance. Uh, Again, he's supposed to have essentially just freestyled this and it's supposed to have just been a, a one shot deal that he came up with very quickly. On this one, he's actually backed by Tommy Jackson on fiddle, Don Helms on steel guitar, Chet Atkins on lead guitar, Jack Shook on rhythm guitar, and Floyd Lightning Chance on bass. Uh, There's a really nice interplay on this song between the vocal and then alternating between the fiddle and and the steel guitar. So you'll have... Hank sing the first line, and then you'll hear that essentially played back on fiddle. Second line played back on fiddle. You get to the next verse, or the end of the first verse, actually, and it starts being the steel guitar that's playing it back. It it creates a really interesting effect. Your cheating heart will make you weep. You'll cry and cry. And try to sleep 
but sleep won't come the whole night through. And again, I always want to keep in mind when I'm thinking about things like this or talking about things like this, that these days when we have literally unlimited tracks in a studio, none of that's that interesting. But at the time that this was recorded and released, all of these things were done essentially live in the studio, only on a couple of tracks. So overdubbing was not really much of a thing. I know Jim's the resident uh, literary guy. But one thing I noticed about the storytelling here, it's very Poe-like. Specifically the Telltale Heart. I swore I swung the chair upon which I'd been sitting and grated it upon the boards. But the noise arose over all and continually increased. It grew louder, 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 and still the men chatted pleasantly and smiled. Was it possible they heard not almighty God? No, no. They heard, they suspected, they knew. They were making a mockery of my horror. This I thought and this I think. But anything was better than this agony. Anything was more tolerable than this derision. I could bear those hypocritical smiles no longer. I felt that I must scream or die. And now again, hark, louder, 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 louder. Villains, I shrieked. Dissemble no more. I admit the deed. Tear up the planks. Here, here. It is the beating of his hideous heart. But I get that same feeling. She cheats, she thinks she's gotten away with it, but unfortunately it eats at her and eats at her until her heart tells on her. The cheating heart will tell on you When tears come down like falling rain I would definitely agree with you that it's one of the finer examples of that literary quality creeping into Hank's writing. Again, a, you know, it's pretty unanimous that folks call him the hillbilly Shakespeare. It, this is why he really remains the high bar for songwriting even today. This is, you know, a hundred years after his birth, 70 years after his death. And we're still asking that musical question. Would Hank have done it this way? You cheating heart will pine someday and crave the love you threw away. Well, listeners, it's been a while since we've given you a proper food recipe. We've been focusing on the John Wayne cocktail guide, but we're talking all these Hank Williams songs. We've already mentioned a lot of food. We've already mentioned getting hungry for quite a long run in New Orleans cooking, in the restaurant business, in the cookbook business, and in the public television cooking show business, Paul Perdone loomed large physically and spiritually over the cooking culture in Louisiana. Uh, successful restaurants hit public television cooking shows. 
a few really big selling cookbooks. Chris is going to give us the jambalaya experience, courtesy of Paul Perdon. This week's recipe is chicken and sausage jambalaya from Paul Prudhomme. Instead of raising a glass, we're going to raise a spoon. Let's raise a spoon of chicken and sausage jambalaya. For this recipe, you'll need one and a half tablespoons chicken or beef fat, pork lard, butter, or oil. Two thirds of a cup, roughly three ounces, of Chef Paul Prudhomme's tasso. One cup about six ounces of Chef Paul Prudhomme's andouille smoked sausage, chopped. One and a half cups of chopped onions, one cup of chopped celery, three quarters of a cup chopped green bell pepper, one and a half cups bite-sized pieces of chicken, two tablespoons Chef Paul Prudhomme's seafood magic, poultry magic, or meat magic, two bay leaves, one and a half teaspoons minced fresh garlic, four medium-sized fresh tomatoes, peeled and chopped, three quarters of a cup tomato sauce, two cups of chicken stock, a half cup of green onions, and two cups of uncooked rice, preferably converted. Melt the fat in a four-quart saucepan over medium heat. Add the tasso and andouille and cook, stirring frequently until crisp, about five to eight minutes. Add the onions, celery, and bell peppers to cook, stirring occasionally and scraping the bottom of the pan well, until tender but still firm, about five minutes. Add the chicken, raise the heat to high, and cook, stirring constantly for one minute. Reduce the heat to medium, add the magic seasoning blend, bay leaves, and garlic. Cook, stirring constantly and scraping the pan bottom as needed for three minutes. Add the tomatoes and cook, stirring frequently until the chicken is tender, about five to eight minutes. Preheat the oven to 350 degrees. Add the tomato sauce to the saucepan and continue to cook, stirring fairly often for seven minutes. Stir in the stock, bring to a boil, then stir in the green onions. Cook, stirring once or twice for two minutes. Add the rice. Stir well and remove from the heat. Transfer to an ungreased 8 by 8 inch baking pan. Cover snugly with aluminum foil and bake until the rice is tender, but still a bit crunchy, about 20 minutes. Remove from the oven and let stand. Covered for 10 minutes. Discard the bay leaves and serve immediately. As always, we'd like to remind you to email us at sixstringhayride at yahoo.com. Six is spelled out. You can also search us uh, on Facebook as Six String Hayride, or what we'd really appreciate you doing is finding us on Patreon under Six String Hayride as well. Well, folks, thanks again for joining your hosts, Chris Wainscott and Jim O'Malley on the Six String Hayride Classic Country Podcast. We are here for all of your classic country, rockabilly, early rock and roll, little gospel, little blues, a lot of excellent country music-themed recipes. And basically, we are here to keep your musical circle rocking, bopping, and very much unbroken. So thank you for sticking with us. We will see you down the road real soon. And again, whether it's in your home, in your community, wherever it is you do your thing, 
keep your circle unbroken. Stay well, stay safe, and we'll see you real soon. Oh, can the circle be unbroken by and by, Lord, by and by? There's a bitter home awaiting in the sky, Lord, in the sky. One of these days, and it won't be long, I'll rejoin them in a song. I'm gonna join the family circle at the throne. No, the circle won't be broken by and by, Lord, by and by. Remember, the force will be with you always.